We always begin our program by inviting our, our friends in the television audience to worship with us at the Rainbow Drive Church of Christ, 2201 Rainbow Drive in Gadsden. Our Bible study this morning is at 9.30, our worship hour at 10.30, and our evening worship hour is at 6 o'clock p.m. Also now immediately following our program here on WNAL, the uh, Glencoe Church uh, sponsors the Herald of Truth, which comes on at 7.30. We encourage you to stay tuned and to watch that uh, very... Uh, high-quality program. And we do hope and pray that you're telling your friends and your neighbors about this program. We do hope and pray that uh, you're investigating the Church of Christ and what we preach and what we stand for and what we're attempting to do to simply restore New Testament Christianity, to restore the church that we read about in the New Testament and to practice Christianity exactly the way they practiced it in the first century. We have no creeds, catechisms, church laws, man-made dogmas of any kind. Our goal is to simply speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent and be Christians exactly the way the Bible teaches Christianity. So we believe that that's a great religious position. We believe it's the only logical religious position. We believe that it's the position that God wants us to take, and we believe it's a position that's very pleasing to God, and we hope that you'll become a part of what we are and attempt to do what we're doing, to lead people to the Christ of the Bible and the church that we read about in the Bible. In John 3 and 16, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. This has been commonly called the golden text of the Bible. I suppose it's the most loved, the most revered, the most uh, appreciated passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. It's the one passage that just about everyone can quote. And rightfully so. It is a tremendous passage of Scripture and teaches some absolutely mind-boggling truths. And I want us to look at some of the ultimate teachings that can be found in that one verse of Scripture, John 3 and 16. Jesus begins with God, the ultimate being, the first cause, the creator of the entire universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He that has been here time immemorial and he that will be here time immemorial. He that created the heavens and the earth. He that could speak the universe into existence. He that has all power, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, the absolutely ultimate being in this universe. Jesus begins by making reference to God, the ultimate being. God so loved, the ultimate friends and brethren, love. One of our problems in our relationship with the Lord is we have never really learn to appreciate how much God loves us. And we've never learned to appreciate what the love of God is all about. We just don't understand such verses as 1 John 4 and 8. God is love. We just don't understand what God, how much God cares for us and how much love he has for us. In the English language, we've only got one word to describe love, and that's the word love. In the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, they had a number of Greek words, four or five Greek words, to describe varying degrees of love. Therefore, the Greek language is much more concise and much more clear when it comes to describing such things as love. There are all different kinds of love. A man that loves his automobile, he'll love that automobile, but it's not, not the same kind of love that he has for his wife, for his children. A woman might love her new dress, but that's not the same kind of love that she has for her husband or for her children. A child uh, might love... Uh, some trinket that mommy and daddy has bought him, but that's not the same kind of love that he or she has for mommy and daddy. Not the same kind of love they would have for our grandmothers and grandfathers and the people that are close to us. There's all different types of love. Most love is based on some hope that uh, we get something in return. 
It's based on the idea that others love us. We're very prone to love those that are just like us, those that we can relate to, and those that can return that love. So all of our love is on this earth is just uh, somewhat limited. I don't think that us human beings are really capable. We might be, but there'd be very few human beings that really love with the ultimate love. Well, now, the word that Jesus used to describe God's love in John 3 and 16 is agape, which is the ultimate love, the perfect love, the love that is beyond any other, any kind of love that you can think of. A love that asks never the question what's in it for me. A love whoever to gain for the one that's doing the loving. Everything is for the love that's being loved. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you and for me. That's the kind of love that God has for the world. God so loved the world. The ultimate amount of people. God loves friends and brethren. Every single solitary person on the face of this earth. God's love is not to be regulated to a certain uh, group of people or relegated to a certain group of people. God loves everyone in this world. He loves everyone on the face of this earth. He loves the poor man down in the ghettos every bit as much as he loves the richest or most eloquent king or queen. He loves every person who has ever lived on this earth and ever will live on this earth and does live on this earth. Peter says in Acts 10 and 34, I perceive that God is a respecter of no person, but all who feareth him and worketh righteousness in every nation are acceptable unto him. In my opinion now, one of the worst reflections on the Christian religion has been the fact that we Christians have not really set the precedent, have not really paved the way when it comes to loving our fellow man. And it always has bothered me that you'll find, even among the people of God, racial prejudice. There's racial prejudice all over the world, and certainly that's one of the evidences of how, of how sinful we human beings are. We hate other people because the color of their skin is different than ours. We hate other people because their nationality is different than ours. We, we, we hate other people because they themselves sometimes are different than we. We hate other people for no other reason other than the fact that they're not just like you and me. Well, now, friends and brethren, that is truly tragic. For the Bible teaches there's no distinction between us people as far as God is concerned. When Peter says, I perceive that God is a respecter of no person, but all who feareth him and worketh righteousness in every nation are acceptable unto him, Peter is telling us that God shows and plays no favorites among people. Paul says in Acts 17 and 26 that of one blood hath God made men of all nations to dwell on this earth. We all come from the same forefathers from the same original mother and father, Adam and Eve. Every human being on the face of this earth, as far as his bloodlines are concerned, is a blood brother. Now, there's some people who don't like that statement. I made that statement one time on television a number of years ago, and one gentleman objected vehemently and said no one was going to convince him that he was a blood brother of somebody who was a different color skin than him. Well, I'm afraid if that man would just think about it, he'd have to admit that he's a blood brother. Because we all trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve. And even if you don't believe in Adam and Eve, you still trace your ancestry back. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, you trace your ancestry back to a beginning through a dead matter or through some kind of inorganic matter. You still trace your history back all the way back to the beginning. If, 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 if those who believe in evolution believe that we evolved through the lower forms of animal life into mankind as we know it today, so they believe that we're all blood brothers. The Bible teaches us that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. So we're all 
blood brothers on this earth, but, boy, you'd never know it from the way people treat one another. Paul said in Galatians, the third chapter, beginning with the 26th verse, we're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For those of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's what the book teaches. Jesus said to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Jesus loved the world. God loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, the greatest gift known to mankind, the gift of God sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for you and for me. You see, friends and brethren, God's nature being what it is, sin is the one thing that God could not tolerate. It's the one thing that he had to turn his back on. When mankind transgressed God's law, when mankind rebelled against God, God's nature demanded that he turn his back on us. His nature demanded that we be sent to a place where we would be punished and separated from him for that never-ending eternity. But he still loved us enough that the only plan capable of redeeming us, the only plan capable of restoring us to that state that we once enjoyed with him before mankind sinned, would be to send his sinless son his only son, into the world to die for you and for me, to die and pay the price for sin, to bear your sins and my sins in his body on the tree, to be bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, and for the chastisement of our peace to be laid upon him, for to be healed by his stripes, and allow God to lay, his, lay uh, the, our iniquities, the iniquities of us all upon him. That was the only thing that could redeem us, the only sacrifice that could restore fallen mankind to the relationship with God that he once enjoyed. And the only one who could make that sacrifice was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He came into the world and he paid the price for us. We're not capable of understanding that, friends and brethren. I've always said if we were capable of even beginning to comprehend what God did for us, how much he loved us, and what Jesus did for us when Jesus left the joys and the bliss of heaven and became a little lower than the angels so that he would taste death for every man, if we ever truly grasped the significance of that act, if we'd ever truly understood what Jesus did for us, living the Christian life would be the easiest thing on the face of this earth. We, in turn, would love God so much. We, in turn, would appreciate Jesus so much that the living of the Christian life would just be a natural consequence of that love. A natural consequence of that appreciation. I don't believe it's possible for us human beings to fully understand, to fully comprehend, to fully appreciate what God did for us when he sent Jesus into the world to die for us. But this little illustration that I thought up uh, might help you a little bit. Probably not much, but it might help a little bit. Just imagine that you had one son that was your only child. And there also was a dog in your neighborhood that everybody sort of liked. But that dog all of a sudden went mad, all of a sudden uh, developed rabies, and all of a sudden became a menace to society, all of a sudden became very mean and uh, very hateful, and nobody could go near the dog, and the dog became a threat to anyone that did go near him because of the fact that he had rabies and the fact that he had gone mad. But somebody said there's one way that we can save that dog's life. You know that that dog would have to be put to death. You know that he'd have to be... Uh, put in a position where he could no longer hurt anybody, where he could no longer be a threat to anyone. But somebody said there's one way 
for that dog to be healed. One way for him to get over his madness and his rabies and to be restored to the state that he once was. And that would be if you would give your son on behalf of that dog. If you would allow your son to die in the place of that dog. Now, friends and brethren, that still doesn't even touch the hem of the garment as far as trying to get across to people what Jesus did for us, what God did for us. But I want you to think of this. The relationship between God and us human beings, we are much smaller. It's much different than even between a human being and a dog. God is the creator of us. God was here in the beginning. God is the one who spoke this universe into existence. We are the creatures. God is so far beyond us that we're ca incapable of understanding how far beyond us he is. And yet here, God loved us so much, loved us enough, that he sent his only son into the world to die for us. Sent his only son into the world to pay the price for us. Sent his only son into the world to redeem us, to free us of sin. Friends and brethren, if there was some way we could understand that, some way we could comprehend what he did, some way we could appreciate what he did, oh, how dedicated we would all be to Jesus Christ. How dedicated we would all be to the God who created you and me and me and the God who sent Jesus into this world and Jesus being the second person in the Godhead being also the creator. How great and wonderful our relationship with him would be. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him. The greatest faith, friends and brethren, known to mankind. Faith in Jesus Christ. I don't understand, never have been able to understand why anyone would want to believe in any person other than Jesus in a religious sense. Why anyone would want to put their faith in anyone except Jesus. Jesus is the only person who ever lived on this earth who claimed to be the Son of God and then backed that claim up with the life that he lived and the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. The only person. Never been another person on this earth who was considered rational now and who was considered accountable, who claimed to be the Son of God and then backed that claim up. The founders of all the major religions in this world, none of them ever claimed to be the Son of God. Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, he never claimed to be the Son of, claimed to be the Son of God or God incarnate. Muhammad, the founder of the Muslim religion, he never claimed to be God incarnate or the Son of God. The Zoroaster, the founder of Zoroastrianism, he never claimed to be the son of God. Confucius, the founder of Confucianism, the religion of the Orient, he never claimed to be the son of God. None of these people claimed to be the son of God. Only Jesus Christ made that claim. Only Jesus said, those who have seen me have seen the Father, John 14 and 9. Only Jesus said, I and the Father are one, John 10 and 30. Only Jesus said that we must honor the Son even as we honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father who sent him, John 5 and 23. Only Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, John 2 and 19. Only Jesus said as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so for three days and three nights, a great fish, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Only Jesus said... You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto my own, that where I am, there ye may be also. Only Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except through me. Why then would people want to believe on anyone except Jesus? Jesus said in John 8 and 24, If you believe not in me, you will die in your sins. In John 3 and 18, he said, Those who believe not in him were condemned already. Only Jesus said that salvation was through him and only through him. The Hebrew writer said of him that he ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. That he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. In that he ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. Hebrews 7 and 25. Only Jesus Christ, friends and brethren, is the mediator between God and man. No other mediator other than Jesus Christ. Only Jesus said that he was with God at the beginning. And that he came into this world to pay the price for mankind. And that salvation was only through him. The greatest faith known to mankind, friends and brethren, is faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only logical faith known to mankind is faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To put our faith in anyone except Jesus, what a tragedy. And, just, and there's just no earthly reason for it. Jesus is the only one deserving of our faith, deserving of our praise. He's the only one who earned our faith and earned our praise by what he did on this earth and the fact that he was resurrected from the dead and the fact that the apostles watched him ascend back into heaven. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish. The ultimate, friends and brethren, punishment. We're living at a time in which people are trying to explain away what the Bible teaches on hell. Now, the reason we try to explain it away is because we don't understand it. You see, we don't understand sin. And we don't understand the consequences of sin. And we don't understand what God went through because of our sin and what he went through when he sent his son into the world to die for you and for me. And because of our inability to understand sin, we, have, we are incapable of understanding hell. We're incapable of understanding the justice of it. We're incapable of understanding how people could suffer for a never-ending eternity. So instead of accepting what the Bible teaches on it, we try to interject our human wisdom. And we try to explain away what the Bible teaches on it. And a lot of people today are teaching uh, what our Jehovah Witness friends, if I can say that with love, have been teaching for over a 100 years, that hell is a place of being put to sleep. It's a place of being cut off. It's a place where we just have become extinct, are made extinct and never know another thing. Well, now, friends and brethren, if that's what hell is, if hell is a place of being put to sleep, if it's a place of being being cut off, being made extinct, we have all been there. Every one of us has been to hell. Do you remember where you were before you were born? Do you have any recollection of anything before you were born? Certainly not. Why? You didn't exist. There's nothing to remember because you weren't here to remember it. You didn't exist. You didn't exist until the, until you were born into this world. Well, now, if a person... If hell is a place where a person is just uh, made extinct again, he just goes back to wherever he was before he was born, and where is the punishment? Where is the hell? He's no worse off than he was before he was born. He's in the same place that he was before he was born. He becomes extinct again. There's nothing in, to him any longer. He doesn't exist any longer. Well, now, the Bible doesn't teach that hell is a place in which you go back to wherever you were before you were born and you become extinct. Jesus says in Luke 16 and 23 that the rich man woke up in hell being in torment. 
He look at the far off and he see it Lazarus being comforted in Abraham's bosom. And he cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus down that he might dip his finger in water and place it on my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Jesus says in Mark the ninth chapter without quoting it verbatim because of the lack of time that we'd be better off to go through life without our hands, our feet, and our eyes than to go through life perfectly healthy and wind up in that place where the fire is not quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Well, now, friends and brethren, I'll tell you as honestly as I know how. If you gave me my choice between going through this life without my hands, without my eyes, without my feet, going through this life uh, hopelessly uh, incapable, just in a hopeless physical condition, you gave me my choice of that and just going back to wherever I was before I was born, it wouldn't take me long to decide to go back to where I was before I was born. Jesus says that you would be better off, better off, that you'd be better, that you're better off to go through life with all of these ailments, without your hands, your feet, without your eyes, and wind up in heaven than you would to, to go through life perfectly healthy and wind up in hell. Jesus says you'd be better off to go through life with all of these uh, physical problems and escape hell than you would to go through life being perfectly healthy and wind up in hell. That's what Jesus taught on the subject. In Matthew 25 and 46, when he says, these on my left hands will go into everlasting punishment, these on my right hand will come into everlasting life, the words for the, for the duration there is the exact same Greek word, A-E-I-O-N, I believe it is, if that's the way you pronounce it. Jesus said, these on my left hand go into eternal, A-E-I-O-N, punishment. These are my right hand into everlasting. A-E-I-A-E-I-O-N. A-E-A-I-I-O-N. I think is the way you spell it. We'll come into everlasting life. He uses the exact same word to describe the duration of hell as he does to describe the duration of heaven. Well, now, what are you going to do with such verses of Scripture as Matthew 25 and 46? Just disregard them? Throw them out? What was Jesus doing in Luke 16 and 23 when he said that the rich man woke up in hell in torment. Somebody says that was a parable. Well, I don't know whether it was a parable or not, but even if it was a parable, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? A parable was always told to illustrate a truth. A parable wasn't told in order to uh, illustrate the opposite of truth. A parable wasn't told in order for us to come to a conclusion that uh, is not uh, that is not valid. A parable wasn't told in order for us to believe something that's contrary to what God intends for us to believe. Why would Jesus confuse us by saying that the rich man woke up in a place where he was in torment and that he was begging for a drop of water? What is the purpose of that language? What is the purpose of Jesus saying that if hell was a place of being cut off, if hell was a place of being put to sleep? You know, 30, 35, 40 years ago, I'm told that the hell, fire, and brimstone preaching was popular. And people literally feared God back then. They looked at God as some kind of a despot sitting in the heavens that was looking down on us and just waiting for us to make a mistake so he could pluck us off the earth and send us to hell for never-ending eternity. They looked at God as some kind of a tyrant and even some kind of a sadistic tyrant. And while now we know, friends and brethren, that that's not the God that we read about in the Bible. We know that the God we read about is a God of love. So now we have corrected that uh, extreme preaching about on hellfire and brimstone. And what have we done? We've gone all the way to the other extreme friends of brethren to the point where we totally ignore what the Bible teaches on the justice of God. Where at one time the preaching was such that it made people literally afraid of God. Today the preaching is such that people laugh at God. 
make fun of God. Don't think that God would ever punish anyone for a never-ending eternity. Look at God as some kind of a little old willy-nilly grandfatherly type that's sitting in the heavens and wouldn't say boo to anyone under any circumstances. That's not what the Bible teaches, friends and brothers. We had better understand that along with God's love and along with God's mercy, also the Bible talks about His justice. And the Bible also talks about the fact that He is wrathful towards those who reject His Son. Isn't that what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1st chapter, verses 7 through 9? To all you are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the words of, aren't those the words of John 3 and 36 when he said, Whosoever believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Whosoever believeth not on the Son shall not see life. And the wrath of God abideth in him. You know, maybe one of the reasons, friends and brethren, that mankind is just totally ignoring what the Bible teaches. Maybe one of the reasons that we can break up our homes uh, without even giving it a second thought, without even beginning to have any scriptural grounds. Maybe one of the reasons that mankind can just live almost with impunity against the teachings of the Lord is because we have gone so far to the other extreme that no one today worries about any kind of consequences to, of their actions or any kind of suffering in store for them because of their actions. It's time, friends and brethren, that we got back to a balance as far as the preaching of the gospel is concerned. And let people know that Paul says in Romans 11 and 22, Behold the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness towards thee, severity towards those who have fallen. And that God's justice, friends and brethren, according to the teachings of the Bible, demands that those who reject His Son, those who do not live their lives as the best they can in harmony with the teachings of His Son, those who do not obey His precious Son's gospel, that they are going to suffer for a never-ending eternity. The ultimate punish, punishment, hell, that we should not perish, but come into life everlasting, the ultimate reward, friends and brethren. To come into that relationship with God where we never know another moment's pain, heartache, sorrow, or sadness. To come into that relationship with God where He'll wipe away the tears from our eyes for a never-ending eternity. Where there'll be no more sickness. Where there'll be no more death. Where there'll be no more goodbyes. Where there'll be no more partings. Where there'll be no more unhappiness. Where everyone will bask on the see on the shores of that never-ending eternity, that ceaseless eternity, with a God who created us all, and live in perpetual bliss and peace and happiness and contentment, time without end. The ultimate reward, friends and brethren, that's what God has promised to all people who believe on His Son, who repent of their sins, whose belief manifests itself in enough faith to be obedient to His Son in baptism, to live the Christian life to the very best of our abilities. But God has promised the ultimate reward and the ultimate happiness to all people who are faithful to His Son, who will turn to His Son and recognize that Jesus Christ is our only hope. Be obedient to Him and live for Him. I want to go to heaven. I don't like the thought of hell. Don't want to think about hell. And don't think that one who's in a right relationship with the Lord has to be concerned about it. I want to go to heaven. I think you do too. Why don't you turn to Jesus this very morning? Believe on him, confess him before men, repent of your sins, obey him in baptism, live for him. Thank you so much for watching the program. We love each and every one of you.